Hello and welcome to episode 955 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is Thursday, July 15th. The All-Star break is just about over. There's one game today and then we're back in full force tomorrow. I'm your host, Paul Spore, flying solo once again. If you listen to the Tuesday episode, I talked about uh, four, four bats to buy into uh, for the second half. And that could be via trade, via waiver wire, depends on your league type and all that. Today we're going the other way. We're jumping to pitchers, but we're talking about fades. I got five fade starters for the second half. Guys, I have some concerns about. It's technically four because one I talked about with Nick Pollock on the uh, most recent fireside, but I'm going to kind of include him again just to highlight a few other things or, or maybe just reiterate. Let's be honest. I don't, I don't think that there's anything necessarily new there, but I did put him on the list. Uh, but yeah, so the tough part here is you can't necessarily cut these guys. Um, there, there is one that I'm definitely cutting. I already have, but for the most part, you just have to be careful with them. You maybe try to trade them in, in leagues that allow that. Uh, I know I talk a lot about NFBC-related stuff. Not everyone plays that. I, I fully understand that. But that's a no-trade league. That's, you know, that's waivers only and everything. So you're not, you're not getting rid of those, these guys in that league format. But maybe you're setting up situations to prepare for the potential issues that may arise by having these guys. So let's just jump in. We'll take it pitcher by pitcher, and we'll talk about what's up. And I think the toughest part here is eyeballing the, well, honestly, I like all five of these guys, but some of these guys I love. I really, really loved coming into the year. They've performed, and yet I'm nervous. And there's just an overall nervousness for the second half related to the fact that we don't know what's going to happen with innings limits. And obviously, you'll, you'll find that as a bit of a prevailing theme as well. Uh, with some of these guys and, and the fact that we don't know what their innings counts are going to be like. And, and that, that's going to create some, some trepidation and, and some uncertainty. And I think it's going to create one of the wilder second halves that we've seen in fantasy baseball history, perhaps, because of all that uncertainty and where it could create new guys that pop up and all of a sudden, you know, a starter that we weren't even looking at as, or a pitcher that we weren't even looking at as a starter gets thrust into a role and pitches brilliantly for two months and things like that. So it's going to be interesting. I think I will do a, a you know, five guys to buy for, on the pitching mound as well um, as kind of a, a complimentary pod to this because I think that's something that people are looking for as well. But I wanted to hit on the fades first, and let's just start at the top. This gentleman was an all-star. In fact, I think the first two guys were all-star. I don't, I don't know why I said I think, because I know they are. <laughs> I, there, there was no need to say I think. They both were, Paul. You know that. Anyway, the first one is Freddie Peralta from the Milwaukee Brewers. And it's hard not to love everything he's done this year. He's been incredible, giving them a third ace-type pitcher uh, atop their rotation with Woodruff and Burns. That has made them an absolute force in the central right now. Uh, he had a you know decent little season last year out of the bullpen, just 29 in the third innings, but uh, 47 strikeouts in that time, uh, 399 ERA, 116 WHIP, and that all translated to like a 241 FIP. I'm not like the biggest FIP guy, but 
just kind of eyeballing that gave you an idea that Peralta was doing some things very well last year. In fact, honestly, I'm more of a Sierra guy, and so I like to cite that skills independent ERA, and that was at 281, and then his Sierra back in 2019 was 380, 399 the year before that. So even though the ERAs were a little high in 18 and 19, 425 and 529 respectively, the skills were there, and Freddie Peralta had his believers. Uh, there were folks out there ready to invest, came into spring looking really sharp, putting together some things. People were buying in, and they were right. They were right to buy Freddie Peralta. Now the question becomes, though, what can he do the rest of the year? And that's the big question at this point. Um, I am also looking at things kind of since the crackdown on sticky stuff. And you have to be careful here because is it um, – is it a situation where they're kind of naturally, naturally regressing as the season goes, or are they subject to the to the sticky stuff issues? That that's the tough part, and I, I don't have a great answer for that. But if you look since the crackdown, Freddie Peralta has a 16% walk rate. Um, he does have a 2.74 ERA in those outings, so people might not have noticed or even cared. And that's thanks to a 3.1 hit nine and a 33% strikeout rate. So there's been a lot of good stuff going on with the with the walks there that, that has kind of masked those those walk issues that he's had. Uh, but you can't deny that there's been at least a little something there. Now, if they hold to their plus 100 inning idea that they put out there for their pitchers at the beginning of the year, that doesn't leave much in the tank for Peralta. That leaves about 31 innings left. Um, and that's, that's very alarming. And so, you know, his, his professional max is 120 back in, in 2017. This, of course, would get him to about uh, 129 if you're adding 100. I mean, even if you stretch it to 150, that leaves 52 in the tank. You're talking like maybe 10 starts, right, as a five-and-dive kind of guy. And one of the really, you know, I think – uh, standout things about what Peralta's done this year is how often he's gone six plus, which has been in 10 of his 18 starts, or excuse me, 10 of his 17 starts. He also has a, a two inning relief appearance. That was his first appearance of the year. So 17 starts, 10 of them, six plus innings, um, all but four have gone at least five. So, you know, he's somebody who's going out there and even though he was not seen as, as, you know, a potential workhorse coming in. He's not uh, the biggest guy. He's been he's been able to stand up and do well. And I think that's even more impressive when you consider the walk rate that he has. I mentioned the 16% since the crackdown. It's 11% on the year. So it's a higher walk rate in general. But when you don't give up any hits, um, you know, 4.0 4 hits per nine is amazing. He has a 131 average against, 178 BABIP. Uh, you know, you look at everything together, there's some regression coming for, for Peralta no matter how you slice it. But my bigger issue is the volume. Uh, how, how far can they really push it? Like I said, even if they go beyond the, uh, the plus 100 notion that they discussed, because I think they could do that. I, I don't know that you just look at the 29 innings last year and say add 100 to that because there was some time, uh, I imagine, at the alt side. I don't think he was with the club all year last year, was he? So maybe he was getting some innings there that they're kind of counting. Let me see here. Actually, no, he was with the team the whole year. I'm looking at it now, except for a very little part at the beginning of 
uh, of the season. He started on July 26th um, with the team. He had a three-inning outing. It was, it was actually a start. I, I, I meant that's when his season started, but he actually started that game too. Then he was sent down, um, or, or actually I don't even know if he was sent down. He has a 10-day rest. I, I don't know exactly where that is for Peralta, if it was at the alt site doing some things or if it was um, you know, pitching out of the bullpen a little bit in some sim games or whatever. But again, no matter how you finagle it, even if he threw 55-ish innings combined last year based on what they count for sim games or alt site or whatever, you're still not talking that much left in the tank. You're still looking at about 50 innings for Freddie Peralta, and that's not getting you to the finish line. Um, the estimation here that I had, I, I ran the numbers for another guy. Let me see where, let me see where the, uh, <clears throat> let me see where the Brewers are at. They played 92 games, so you're talking 70 games left. You just do the kind of easy divided by five. That's 14 starts about per guy, and so you're not getting, you know, f for 50 innings. What are you going to pitch three plus every time? Uh, so there's just no chance. There, there's no way. Plus, they would want him for the playoffs in some capacity, I imagine. So they've got a very difficult decision. I, I, I don't know what they're going to do with Freddie Peralta. And that sort of uncertainty is scary. Now, I think if you go out in the trade market and you talk about moving Freddie Peralta, you're, you're not going to... You're not going to fleece anybody. I don't believe. Most people are going to be paying attention. They understand that there's going to be some sort of cutoff here for him. So just be above board about it, man. We're not trying to fleece folks. A lot of y'all play in home leagues with family and friends. You're not trying to be a jerk. Or you shouldn't be. If you are, you're garbage. Just don't do that. That's lame. So you just be above board and you say, I, I, I don't know exactly where we're at here with the innings. Um... But if you're interested in Freddie Peralta, I'll trade him to you. The best scenario, of course, would be a keeper situation where you find somebody who's not as in it this year that would want somebody like Peralta for next year and beyond that you can get in high-impact piece for. You know, you can get a veteran. You can get a Max Scherzer for Freddie Peralta. And yeah, you might be regretting that two years down the line when Peralta is a fully formed ace or something and, and Scherzer's on the tail end, although... I, I can see Scherzer being great till the very end. He's just that kind of guy. But anyway, you, you get my drift there. I think that's the best scenario for folks. Those of you who have Peralta in Keeper League situations, you're set up the best to make the move here. Because if you're in an NFBC situation, I think you just got to ride it out. You're obviously not cutting him preemptively. You take your innings and, and you go from there. And if you're in a redraft league, even one that has trades, what are you really going to get from him? Because, again, you're not going to go out and try to rip a friend off. Um, so it, it's a difficult scenario, and that's why I'm a bit of a fade on Peralta for the second half because of this, uh, this grave innings concern. And that leads us to our next guy here, too, in Trevor Rogers, uh, also an all-star. Now, they've said that he's, he's in a bit better situation than, than Peralta, I will say, because they've said that he's going to get about 170 to 175 innings. And they're not going to make the playoffs. The Marlins aren't without a major, you know, crazy, unforeseen turnaround. So we're, we can comfortably say that they're not. Okay. If something happens, we will alter. Uh, but they're 39 and 50. They're not making the playoffs this year. So they can use those 70, 75 innings all in season. And 
that can get you to the finish line because again, you're looking at about 14 starts. That's giving them just over five per. If you do a few skips or pushes, then they, then you can still be going six, seven innings here and there where, where it merits. Or they just commit to a five and dive guy for a while and uh and and work it that way but i i think he'll essentially get toward the to the finish line trevor rogers will so that you had to head leaguers i don't think you have to be gravely concerned uh about this situation now i will say let's let's look a little bit at the numbers here uh pardon me he's been a bit bumpy since the crackdown with a 412 era and a 127 whip he was at 187 and 102 before so again i go back to how much is just simple regression from a from a peak that was unsustainable and how much of it is you know all of a sudden you can't use stuff so you you're you're not as good uh the spin rates are down a bit there's been certain games where they've been down a, a, an impactful amount you know 200 plus points on different pitches but overall if you look from uh before crackdown after his his composite uh, Trevor Rogers's composite spin rates are not down an egregious amount to suggest like, oh, he's he's fully made by this. I mean, you're looking at like 50, 60 points on most of his pitches. The only one that's down a pretty good bit is the changeup, but changeups aren't necessarily high spin pitches to begin with. You know, um, his fastball, slider, and, and um, well, I guess he has two fastballs but he doesn't really, never mind, never mind. I, I was looking at something that gave him like a sinker, but it was like a one pitch type of deal. Anyway, you're looking at um, the fastball and the slider. Those are in the 2000s range, uh, the early 2000s for Rodgers. And then they're still holding right about there since the crackdown. The changeup has gone from a 14-14 spin rate to a 12-37. So, I mean, that, there, there's a little something there. Like I said, the slider and fastball themselves have had 200-point dips here and there. All in all, I don't think he's somebody that's like been made by sticky stuff. It might be affecting him a little bit. There was another outing that he had where uh, Trevor Rogers had a little bit of extra rest, and they suggested that maybe that was actually a hindrance for him and didn't quite help him. And we've seen that before with guys. Some guys don't do well off of six, seven days rest. They got to stay on that routine. It's 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 a case by case type of guy. Now it wasn't an awful outing, and it was against Toronto. Uh, he can be forgiven for only going five with three runs. He still had six punches, two walks five hits allowed so that article made it sound a lot worse than it was the one I was reading that uh, also included the talk of of the innings limit um, and since then you know he was he was pretty solid at Philadelphia very good against the Dodgers five innings two runs eight strikeouts zero walks and then Atlanta you know uh, a little bumpy four innings three runs only two of them earned four strikeouts on four hits and two walks you know it's it's fine. It, it wasn't great, but it's not something that you're you're freaking out about. So, I look at Trevor Rogers and I see okay, he can get to the finish line, um, but th there could be some finagling there. And if they just go, you know, if if you're able to go six here and seven there, you do it, and then we'll just shut him down whenever that is. He becomes the biggest fade in head-to-head -head leagues because you may not have him for the key playoff situations, the semifinals and finals. And if Trevor Rogers has been a big part of your your playoff run here or, or, or your team that is in playoff contention, you may be losing that piece down the stretch. And that's where my biggest concern comes in for him. Uh, because, you know, in Roto, 
if he just stops on you know early September, then you replace him, right? But you still got your 175 innings. Doesn't necessarily matter when they come. Um, those innings aren't more valuable in late September than if they than if he finishes in early September. You're getting the volume. It's adding to your to your bottom line there. If anything, it might be better for Roto if there is a set cutoff. And then you can just replace Trevor Rogers. That way you're not kind of in limbo and having these these 10-day off periods or anything that they try to do to get him to the finish line. So I have less concern about Rogers than I do Peralta. That's for darn sure. But I do have a little bit of concern here. And like I said, the bulk of that concern lies in head-to-head leagues with Trevor Rogers. Moving on to our next guy here, we have Dylan Cease of the Chicago White Sox. And, um, you know, he shares like kind of a, a mix of the two here as far as my concern uh, of the first two guys that we've talked about. In fact, one thing I didn't look up, have they announced an innings limit for him? Probably should have looked that up for everybody. You would think that considering that that's such a big part of this episode, uh, you you would think so. I, I don't see anything, though, um, that suggests what his innings limit will be now. He's got the Peralta issue, though, where the White Sox are going to want him in some capacity for October, and they're tracking very well to make it to October. Now, he's not their number one pitcher or anything like that, although I could have you know, discussed Carlos Rodon, too, and maybe had some questions about him, though I do think that you know, as long as he stays healthy, they're gonna they're just gonna ride it out with Rodon. He's a free agent after this year, and you know, I don't mean to be callous about it, but they could they could ride it to the finish line in in through October and then it could be somebody else's problem you know that that's how they might see it there um, but with Cease he's 25 years old with several years of team control still on the docket he's having his breakout season here but what exactly are they going to do with him I'm a little bit nervous about him and I was. Um, this was reinforced listening to Rates and Barrels when they tagged him as a sell high as well. Whenever Eno and, and DVR, two of my best friends in the industry, um, you know, are, are are saying something, I'm like, oh, I think I think I'm onto something here. I feel good when I'm when I'm tracking with them. And so when I heard that, I was like, well, I'm keeping Dylan Cease on the on this list here because I'd made kind of a rough list with Peralta Cease. Rogers and the next guy, uh, or no, then the fifth guy, and then I added the guy from the fireside on here too. So I was like, okay, I'm on to something. They see it, I'm I'm with it. Let's go. Dylan sees, gotta be careful here. So will he be held back innings wise? I'm not sure. He maxed at 141 as a pro in 2019. He's got his career best walk rate, but it's still a 10% mark, which you know, that's not great. And we're looking at, at, at somebody who, you know, has nasty stuff. When you're watching Dylan Cease, you see how it works uh, for sure, especially when he's on. Like, it, it's not surprising that he's successful. People have been looking for this breakout now for a couple years. So th- this is not particularly surprising. But I do wonder if they're going to make moves to solidify or, or, excuse me, to deepen the rotation options that they have, even if they just pick up some, like, Fourth, fifth starter types, not high impact guys. Let's say like, um, I don't know. Let me go to a team that's definitely going to sell. Like, it, it's not going to be this guy, but I'll just think of it because it's it's my favorite team. Like, a, like a Jose Urania, 
you know, somebody who can just eat some innings for them because I don't think that that the division is really in that much peril. Obviously, they don't want to be careless and give a bunch of innings to guys who are getting killed. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, Cleveland sneaks up on them. But I think a few innings eaters uh, should be on their grocery list for the deadline, along with like an Eduardo Escobar. And then, of course, they're going to get some big, uh, big giant pieces back that are going to feel like trade acquisitions in the form of Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez when, when those guys are healthy. So things are going to look good for the White Sox. But I do think they need some arms there to bridge the gap. We could see a Michael Kopech, maybe Cease and Kopech flip, um, uh, flip roles. I could see something like that. You know, Garrett Crochet's been a been a reliever in the majors so far, and I I do wonder if he might stick there. Um, speaking of, you know, he talks a lot about how the bullpen can be sticky, and when a guy goes there on what is said to be like a trial basis, if they excel, sometimes they end up just staying there. Like, uh, you know, it could be a Josh Hader sort of situation with, with Garrett Crochet, or they start his transition back as back to starting, and maybe he gets a few starts this year, or at least some extended outings. And all of a sudden, you're seeing tandem outings between Crochet, Kopech, and Cease in some in some variation there with two of them in any given outing. Anyway, I do have concerns about Cease making it to the finish line. I also have a little bit of concern about his overall performance. Now, the 411 ERA, 127 WHIP has been. Uh, solid. Obviously, the ERA is a little bit higher, but that whip is, you know, sub 130. I'll take it with the big 30% strikeout rate. And you look at ERA indicators 379 Sierra, 368 FIP. So you could even see somebody saying, well, he's going to get better in the second half. Okay, maybe, but the concerns I have is that he's a big fly ball guy who's had major home run issues in the past. And I don't know that he's necessarily fixed that. In fact, his fly ball rate's even higher this year. Now, there's been a big jump in his infield fly ball rate, which has helped curb the homers. But the biggest thing that's curbing Dylan Cease's home run rate is simply a dip in homer to fly ball rate. From 21% in 19, 18% last year, and 12% this year, will that trickle back up toward his career 17% mark? Or was he unlucky in those first two years and maybe this 12% mark is, is where he should live? Of course, homers are the quickest way to ruin an ERA, though. You've probably heard me say it a million times. It's the scariest thing, um, especially for like a reliever. That's why, you know, Emilio Pagan was never going to close in San Diego for me. He's a home run machine. Uh, and I do have a little bit of concern about Dylan Cease because of his home runs. Now, if you look at him... Over his last six starts, he has a 564 ERA. And what's been going on in those six starts? A 1.8 home run rate. He had a 336 ERA in his first 12 starts. And what kind of home run rate did he have there? Well, it was 0.73. So maybe the home runs are already starting to trickle back up. Throw in the fact that he's coming up on, on a big innings count. And I do wonder if they're going to start to peel him back. And, and like I said, maybe flip-flop him with Kopech for a little while or Kopech gets some starts, Cease gets some relief. Now we go back to what we talked about with like Peralta. You're not cutting him preemptively or anything like that for Cease. Um, if you trade him, obviously... Well, trading him might be a little bit different because there is no firm talk about what might be the limit for him as there is with Peralta and Trevor Rogers. I haven't, I just did the Google search for Cease. 
I can do a Twitter search as well. Sometimes Twitter searches are better for these sorts of things, but I haven't, I haven't seen anything that puts him on a particular, um, that puts him on a particular innings limit. But let me do a little look here. Dylan sees innings in Twitter. I'll do it on the fly here. And I mean, I don't, I don't see anything. Uh, click the latest. Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't see anything there. So it's a little bit nerve wracking that we don't have any idea what's going on. He's at 92 innings already. It was 58 last year, 73 the year before. Um, but also there was minor league innings in 2019. That's why I mentioned his, his professional high for Dylan Cease is 141 back in 2019. But this guy with poor command um, that we've seen via the walk rate and the home run rates that, is, that has been solid in this kind of like I don't want to say it's a full-on breakout. It's kind of like a pseudo breakout because, like I said, the ERA at 411 is a little high and everything. But the the trends are going the right way for him. Like, w w there's a lot to be positive about this season. But I think he's sellable here with the sub four Sierra. You can go out in a trade league and and offer him up again. Be above board. If somebody says I worry about the innings, say yeah, I understand that. Let's lower the price a little bit to something that you're more comfortable with. And again, this is going to be best in keeper situations where you're selling him to somebody who isn't as good this year so that you can get something a little bit more firm. Hopefully they have that veteran piece that you're interested in. Maybe it's a hitter. Maybe you've got your pitching on lock. You can afford to trade C's without getting a pitcher back. But you're going to have to explore the avenues here because I don't think that Cease is just going to continue to go five, six innings a pop and get to the finish line here. I do have concerns. Oh, man, I left my water bottle in the kitchen. I was going to do the customary spore drink during a solo pod, and I can't. Son of a gun. All right, well, let's move on to the next guy here. It's uh, it's the guy I mentioned in the fireside chat, Luis G Garcia. And this one's pretty straightforward here. It's my observation, my, my theory, is that when he was chosen to stay in the rotation over Christian Javier, yes, that was a nice thumbs up for what, Garcia's doing, but I think it was, if you look a little deeper in it, I think it was more of a thumbs up for Javier in that they prefer him down the stretch because these two are going to flip roles at some point. I, I just, I just don't see how that's not happening. Um, you know, Garcia's 24, they're both 24 year olds. So neither was going to be able to put in a full workload. So they are, they're blessed with the, with the fact that they have six guys right now. And when Urquidy gets healthy, they have seven quality options. They may go six man for a little while. Uh, but there's just no universe to me where Luis Garcia gets to the finish line. He's had an excellent performance so far this year, but he has a max of 109 professional innings, and he's already at 85 this year. So, like again, there's, there's just no shot that he's getting to the finish line, even if they implement a six-man rotation. Uh, why did I say rotation weirdly like that? Even if they do that, though, <clears throat> I still don't think it necessarily gets Garcia to the finish line. Uh, like I said, once Urquidy comes back, then you've got Fromber, Grinke, Urquidy, Odorizzi, McCullers, Garcia, Javier. Boom. Seven strong options there. Now, maybe Garcia gets to the finish line as a pitcher, because they let him go in the bullpen for a bit and keep going. And so that'd be good because then you could still you can still utilize him there. That wouldn't be too bad. But obviously it's a big takeaway from your rotation to lose a guy with a 306 ERA and a 110 whip with 97 strikeouts and 85 and a third. Um, 
So like I said, I, on the fire side, I'm fading Luis Garcia for the second half, and I'm very much buying Christian Javier. Javier's turning up on some waiver wires right now because people aren't holding him as a reliever. I get it, especially in shallower formats. It's hard to just hold kind of a middle reliever. Um, but he's he's eventually going to get back into this rotation. And, you know, <clears throat> if you can afford it, He's been very good as a reliever, 270 ERA, 111 whip. This is uh, Javier I'm talking about with 31 strikeouts in 23 and a third innings. He'll be back in the rotation at some point. Easy one. If you want more detail on this, listen to the fireside. But I did want to bring him back up just in case he didn't catch the fireside and find out that I'm a little bit um, anti-Garcia for the second half. I'm pro-Garcia overall, but for the second half, be careful because I just there's just no way he's getting to the finish line. And then the last one, this one's easy. This is the slam dunk one. And um, because you look at Casey Mize and he already had some like fantasy issues based on the fact that he's a 20% strikeout guy. So I love the 359 ERA and the 114 whip, but the 20% strikeout rate and now severely limited innings, it's over. I mean, he 56 and 50 pitches in his last two starts. They've been above board. They, they have said that this is the plan. They are purposely limiting him. This is going to continue. They want to keep him on his rotation. So he's going to go every fifth day. Um, but it's going to be these, these smaller outings without a doubt. The only way that they could really bring fantasy relevance back is if they gave him an opener. Now, I don't know that they're going to do that, though, because... Again, they talked about routines and all that. You know, coming in as a reliever kind of bucks that routine. I think they just want to keep him going as is. He'll be a three, four inning starter. You're not getting wins from that. You're not getting, you know, good strikeouts from that uh, anyway uh, on a rate basis. So you might get some decent ratios, but it's a glorified reliever at that point. Casey Mize is an easy one, and I'll tell you how easy it was. I cut him in the main event a 15 team mixed league. Like what, what am I keeping him for when, you know, even with like, <clears throat> excuse me, even with like a 30% strikeout rate, I'm not sure I would have kept him around. But the fact is when, when you're talking 20%, so I'm not even getting those, those K's uh, at a decent clip for the three, four innings at a time. They're the beginning three, four innings. So there's no win possibility. And I know you might laugh. Oh, win possibility with the Tigers. Hey, since May 1st, they're 500. They're 32 and 32, which is not, too bad. And like I said, if they did give him an opener and he was pitching the middle three or four innings, then all of a sudden Mize would be interesting because he could snake some wins and I would take on the mediocre strikeout rate for the fact that there could be some upside there. But it's just not there. This is this is a positive season for him uh, because he has really put some things together. He and Scooble both. Uh, so had Turnbull and Boyd before they got hurt. Hopefully they come back and do some things as well. Matt Manning showed a little something in his last start before being sent out. I, I'm sure he'll be back at some point. So all in all, especially with the fact that they've been 500 since May 1st, if they can kind of continue around that, this is a good building block year for the Tigers. But that doesn't mean that all their guys are fantasy relevant. I think Scooble is the, is the one lone guy standing right now with fantasy relevance until Turnbull and Boyd get back, and we'll see where they go. Um, among starters, by the way, you still still got a roster Soto, even though saves are a pain in the butt, and uh, you know he's not exactly the best. He's he's a little sketchy there with his walk rate and everything, but you still got to hang on to him. But with Mize, I, I think it's an easy cut. It, it, it was something I'm like. 
I, I never would have thought that I'm cutting somebody who's done so well, but it's not about what they've done. It's what they're going to do. And the simple fact is Casey Mize is not going to do much for your fantasy team the rest of the year. He's a cut in pretty much all, but I would say AL only formats. Um, redraft, by the way, redraft, redraft, redraft. Obviously, keeper situations are completely different. And again, this is where you can trade him and say, okay, hey, non-competing team, here's, uh, here, here's, here's a guy for you. You give me somebody, and then we make a deal. But uh, in my situation, in the main event, I need somebody who can, who can impact the bottom line on the team. Three, four innings a pop from Casey Mize with no strikeouts, no win upside. It just wasn't there. So he's gone. So that's it. There's the five guys that I'm fading right now. Freddie Peralta, Trevor Rogers, Dylan Cease, Luis Garcia, and Casey Mize. All five of them uh, have varying concerns that, uh, that has me worried about how they are going to be finishing uh, down the stretch here. And as such, I think you need to make plans for them. They're, not obviously, they're obviously not all cuts. In fact, only Mize is a cut right now. But you need to be making plans for what you're going to do as their innings are going to be limited. And they've been a big part of your rotation to this point. You just need to get your mind around the fact that they're not going to deliver that same kind of impact here in the second half. Again, I will do a companion pod uh, where I will highlight some guys that I'm buying into. Expect to hear Christian Javier mentioned again there, but I promise I'll do others in addition. In fact, I'll, if, I, if, I, if I'm doing like a five, he'll be like a sixth add-on. I won't, I won't waste one of the spots on him because now this is two pods where I've hyped him up with the, uh, with the Luis Garcia uh, fade. I've, I've propped up Christian Javier. So that's, that's well known. So I'll do five different guys and then maybe tack on just the, the Javier reminder for anybody who, you know, isn't listening to this or didn't hear the fireside. So anyway, thank you so much for listening. I love doing the solo dolos. I'll probably do that, that, um, uh, starter pickup one for tomorrow, Friday the 16th. So look out for that then. Otherwise take care.